Galatians chapter 5 as we continue in our examination of this book and drawing close to the end another chapter to go but it's a, very, a fairly short one but several sermons will come out of that one we will finish this up in the next month or so and I've promised Scott he could have some, a few Sunday nights here to preach so he's happy about that after I get through with this um, let me mention two things one I, we didn't mention and I want to remind you that next Sunday we will be meeting at Denham Street Baptist Church for our evening service at 4 o'clock so we will not be here but we will be at, uh, at Denham Street 4 o'clock for a baptism service and a worship service we're going to sing and uh, I'll bring a message and so we'll spend that time together worshiping so be there and then we've got about 5 I think to be baptized so next Sunday no evening service at 6 here the evening service is at 4 at Denham Street so make note of that and, uh, and don't, don't come here because you'll be by yourself if you come here unless several of you come here and then you can have your own service I guess um, the other thing is this morning I wanted to mention uh, several asked me after the service about I mentioned the book Knowing God and uh, by J.I. Packer and the, specifically the chapter in there on the sons of God and I had a couple people say well do we want to buy a whole book for just one chapter? No, you want to buy the whole book for the whole book. I mean, it's probably one of the greatest Christian classics that's ever been written. And you ought to read Knowing God. And uh, that chapter just happens to give the greatest, I think, out of everything I've read. And I think I've read tons. I've read whole books on adoption uh, by God adopting us into his family. And that chapter gives the most succinct, clearest explanation and understanding of adoption that I, I've ever seen anywhere and I couldn't do it that good so I encourage you to buy it and read it there's another chapter in there on um, oh my goodness it's on propitiation and the title of it is it's a really good chapter and all of a sudden I can't think of what it is uh, but those are the two best chapters those two could stand alone as books, honestly, as private studies. I remember I had the chance to, to uh, spend some time with Dr. Packer years ago when I was pastor in Florida. He preached for us, and I was driving him back to his hotel, and I said, uh, I said, I just want to tell you, Dr. Packer, knowing God has meant a lot to me. I've, for about 15 years, I read it every year. Started in December, read it through the Christmas holidays. Haven't done that the last few years, and I probably should again. But I told him those two chapters, the heart of the gospel, that's the name of it, the heart of the gospel and sons of God were the most, they just had more impact on me. I, I still remember where I was when I was reading uh, the heart of the gospel. I was on an air, a Delta jet flying from Fort Worth to uh, Anniston, Alabama, to Birmingham actually, to, to go to Anniston in 1977. And my father had had a heart attack. And I was on my way back, and I had that book with me, and I read that chapter from Dallas to Birmingham, and, and it was just, it just was life-changing sitting on that airplane. And I told him, I said, those two chapters, and they have meant so much. And in his very British way, he said, well, they should. They were the hardest to write. And, and he went into how it took him months just to get those developed. He said, the others came easily. Those two chapters I struggled over for months and months. So uh, we have Knowing God in the book nook, I think. If we don't, if we're out of it, we'll get some more in the book nook. 
that's a book you ought to have in your personal library and you ought to read regularly. Don't just own it, read it. Uh, sometimes we own books and don't read books, but you need to own it and read it. All right, so much for a commercial. Now I'm sure there'll be a run on the book note tonight and we'll have to replenish that tomorrow, but that's all right. In, in Galatians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul has been dealing with, as we've talked about, freedom in Christ. He's contrasted freedom and license. He's made it clear that freedom does not mean license. It doesn't mean that we're just, you know, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you may die. Go do whatever you want to do, however you want to do it, whenever you want to do it, and God will have to forgive you for it. And, and that's license. There are some people who take the gospel, who take grace to that extreme, but they are people who do not understand the gospel. They are people who do not understand grace. They, they take it and they twist it and they manipulate it and they use it for their own evil passions rather than for the purpose for which it was given. And grace and the gospel is always given to make us godly, to make us holy, like we talked about this morning. And, and so Paul has dealt with that and he's dealt with it quite well. And we've called this series, the title of the series is Freedom in Christ. I want you to know real freedom. One of my greatest desires for this church is that we be a free church, that we not be bound by a lot of tradition, that we not be bound by a lot of, you know, uh, uncomfortableness around one another. I want us to be free in Christ to express worship. I want us to be free in Christ to express love to one another. I want us to be free in Christ to minister to one another and to the world around us. That's what real freedom is. It's being set free to be what God called you to be. It's being set free to do what God called you to do. In your sin, you are enslaved to sin under the law, and you're not free to do what God created you to do and be. And yet, in Christ, we are given a freedom that is phenomenal. Too often, we go to one of the two extremes. We either go to the license extreme, and we say, oh, well, man, I'm saved. I'm on my way to heaven. I'll do whatever I want to do, and that's fine because God has to forgive me. Let me tell you something. God does not have to forgive you one bit. God is not obligated to you. God is not obligated to me under any, any circumstance. God, by his free grace, has chosen to, to give you freedom and to forgive you, but he's not obligated to you. You say, oh, yes, he is. I, I asked Jesus to come in my heart, and that obligated God to me. That didn't obligate God to you at all because it's, it's, it's not a matter of asking Jesus to come in your heart. It's a matter of knowing him and coming into relationship with him and having his Holy Spirit set you free. He is not obligated to you. He's not under obligation to you or to me or any other human being. But we take that license and we take that approach, or we make it legalistic. And Paul, in the first half of this book, was just castigating and destroying the Judaizers and their legalism. Well, they had a perfect set of do's and don'ts, and they had it just like this. And if you do what I do and, and don't do what I don't do, basically is what it amounted to, then you'll be right with God. And there was a binding of that. There was an enslaving to that that was just as bad as being enslaved to the law and to sin. Because legalism is not what God intends for you and I to do. I'm not to set a list of my standards on you and say if you really want to be a good Christian you'll do what I do and you'll do it the way I do it not at all Christianity is based on knowing Christ walking with Christ walking in the spirit as Paul will talk about today and then carrying out the desires that the Holy Spirit gives you as you're walking with him and living in him rather than the desires of the flesh now in this passage tonight he takes and uh, 
Jeff, would you hand me that piece of paper there? I left my notes down there. Oh, boy. Leave my telephone. I don't need it. All right. Uh, I think I'm losing it. I'm going to Utah. But I'm not going to convert. Okay. All right. In, in this passage tonight, the apostle... I sure thought you might want to have that assurance. I'm not making any plans there. Um, in this passage tonight... Paul takes the whole concept of, of the legalism and the license and the freedom, and he says, now this is what it really is. If you want to really get a, a, a taste of what the Christian life is, and not just what it's intended to be, what it is in the life of a true believer, Paul says, this is it. Listen carefully as I read, starting in verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of of the flesh for the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh for these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please but if you are led by the spirit you are not under law now the deeds of the flesh are evident which are immorality impurity sensuality idolatry sorcery enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, now Paul's pretty emphatic there. I realize we live in a day that doesn't like dogmatism and doesn't like black and white and doesn't like absolutes. But Paul's pretty absolute there. Those who practice these kind of things, I, Paul says, I've warned you about this. I'm warning you now. I've warned you before. Listen to what i got to say. Those who practice this sort of thing will not inherit the kingdom of God, period. And that's talking about inheriting eternal life. Those who practice such things, whose lives are characterized by such things, demonstrate that they do not know the Lord. They do not have the Holy Spirit binding in their life and working in their life. And they are doomed to walk in destruction. They won't inherit the kingdom of God. Carries on. But, but, negative transition here. But the fruit of the Spirit, contrary transition, but the fruit of the Spirit is love joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, that is prideful, challenging one another and envying one another. Well, we could take the rest of this night and all day tomorrow to just kind of unpack this passage and we may not get finished with it tonight we may have to come back to it uh, in two weeks after the baptism of next week but I want you to see what Paul is saying here because it's very clear that he's saying now the real way of freedom the will, real way of freedom that is casting off legalism and casting off license the real way of freedom is understanding the contrast between the works of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit 
It, it's understanding that God is at work in your life. He starts out in verse 16 by saying, but I say, and, and he does this in an imperative. There's a command here. There's, a, there's an instruction here. I say to you, walk by the Spirit. What does that mean, walk by the Spirit? Does that mean there's some way that the Spirit helps our feet to move and, and so we, we walk? And, and that, he's not talking about physically walking. He's talking about life. About lifestyle. He's talking about the life that, that Christ has given us. And we walk as a manner of life, as a way of life, by the Spirit of God who indwells the believer, who has, who has taken control in the believer's life, who has, as we used the illustration several weeks ago, come in and, and not just been made a part of the committee, but has come in and fired the committee and taken control of the life. That's what the Christian life is. It's, being, it's walking by the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, being, being controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. Now, now, Paul says that's what you are to do because the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit. Now, that's an interesting word, the flesh, uh, because we, we look at flesh in several different ways in Scripture. I mean, this is flesh, just good old skin and muscle and tissue that makes up the outer part of our body that we, we call that this is flesh that's he's not talking about the outer encasement of our bodies he's talking about something that's internal something that we still struggle with something that even though we are born again and and he will say later we have crucified the old man there's something within us this matter of flesh that still wars against the spirit that still struggles against the spirit and he said they're in opposition to one another so that you don't do the very things you really want to do sometimes because you're listening to the flesh now Paul is not saying there that well you know somehow the flesh maybe it's the devil remember Flip Wilson some of you are old enough to remember Flip Wilson Flip Wilson was a comedian and his big line was what the devil made me do it. That's right. And, and he could say it in a way that I can't even begin to inflect. But, but everything, no matter what he did that was wrong, the devil made me do it. And, and, you know, we all laughed about that. I thought Flip Wilson was the funniest comedians ever lived. And I would laugh and just hee-haw. And, and I thought, well, that's good. That's a great excuse, you know. Devil made me do that. Devil didn't make him do it. Oh, the devil may tempt and, and the devil and his minions, his legions of demons may seek to distract and entice and tempt us away from being obedient to God. But you know what? We got enough flesh in us that's still struggling in our life that we don't need the devil making us do it. We, we do it ourselves. We find ourselves doing what we want to do. Paul had that same struggle, didn't he? In Romans chapter 7. He said, you know, I, I don't understand this. I, I, I know what I'm supposed to do, and I know what I'm not supposed to do, and I find myself not doing what I'm supposed to do and doing what I'm not supposed to do. I, I find myself struggling with this all day long. It's a, it's a real struggle in my life. And he finally cries out, who will deliver me from this body of, of, of enslavement, really? This body of flesh. He says, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where delivery is. That's where freedom is. It's in Christ. But even believers struggle with that, folks. You know, I, I know some people believe that you can become a Christian and move right on into perfection. I had a friend in seminary that we used to debate that all the time. And, 
he was a follower of a pastor out of uh, Florida and this pastor out of Florida preached this famous sermon you may have heard it some years ago you may have heard it recently because I guess with the internet you can hear everything over and over and over again it's called turkeys and eagles and turkeys was walking the flesh eagles was soaring in the spirit and he said you know I look in the mirror every morning and I don't see a sinner saved by grace I see a perfect man an eagle for God I don't see that when I look in the mirror every morning. I really don't. Because I still find that struggle there. I, I find myself not doing what I want to do and doing, or I, I do what I want to do, but I find myself not doing what I know I should do many times and doing what I know I shouldn't do, and the struggle is there. Now, I'm glad the struggle's there. I, I think I mentioned several weeks ago that, you know, that to me, that's a, that's a sign of a good, healthy walk with the Lord when there is a struggle. Because if the Lord's not there at work by the Holy Spirit, if God is not working your life by the Holy Spirit bringing conviction, you won't struggle with it. You'll like it. You'll be happy to just go on and, and live in sin and, and wallow in disobedience and let the flesh control your life, and you won't care because there's nothing there saying, that's wrong, you need to come to repentance, you need to confess. You just do your own thing, and you're happy about it. There's a struggle in the life of the believer. And that's why Paul is talking about that here. But he says, listen, there are certain things that are deeds of the flesh that if you're not, you know, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law, and these deeds of the flesh will not be the characteristics of your life. They won't be the things that control you. They won't be the things that you are known for when people think of you, when people see you in, in a public uh, expression, whether it's in church or at school or, or on the job and, and he gives some pretty nasty things here and, and they're really broken down into what I think four different categories I think he talks about first of all sins of impurity sins of impurity where he talks about there you know uh, now the deeds of flesh are evident which are immorality, impurity and sensuality those are, those are that's adultery fornication it's, it's not living up to the standards that the Holy Spirit calls us to a purity in our life. We make all sorts of excuses of why, well, you know, we're a modern generation and some of these things aren't still binding on us. Folks, the, 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 the truth of Scripture is still binding and always will be binding on us. That we're to live pure lives. Uh, not in immorality. Not in sensuality. Not in pursuing the things of the flesh like well, I think King James even puts fornication in there translates impurity as fornication or immorality as fornication it's the same type word but they're those sins of impurity Paul is saying that the Christian will not be characterized by impurity they won't be perfect they won't be known for their immorality and their unfaithfulness to their spouse or their unfaithfulness to their vows they will live something of a desire anyway to have pure lives the second grouping is what I would call sins connected with pagan worship idolatry and sorcery are the two words that are there sorcery is witchcraft now you know I don't I don't think we have a problem in at Grace Baptist thank goodness with anybody who's who's setting up idols and and who is uh, practicing witchcraft or hanging out with a Wiccan group or anything like that but it goes beyond that. Paul is saying there, there are other things that can be idols in your life. You don't have to have a Buddha. 
You, you don't have to have some kind of carved, graven image to have an idol in your life. Anything that takes God's place, anything that is more important to you than God and Jesus Christ is an idol to you. It can be your job. It can be your spouse. It can be your children. It can be recreation. It, it can be any number of things that become idols to you that that's what you live for. What I talked about this morning where the Puritan said, we live lives that are licking the earth too often as Christians. Letting other things take God's place. Take the place of Jesus Christ. You know, the, the, the first commandment, you shall know the God's before me. And, and when God said that through Moses to Israel and ultimately to you and me, he was not saying, you know, hey, you're just not to have any gods that get in, in between us. He said there has to be any other God. There are no other gods. Don't put anything up there like a God. Worship me. Serve me. Serve me alone. Sin's connected with pagan worship and idolatry. And, and folks, we got a lot of pagan worship in our country that doesn't pass itself off as pagan worship. Christianity Today, last issue. And Christianity Today has moved from where it used to be as a, a paragon of, of Christian conservatism. And it's kind of moderated some and everything. But it had an article that just blew me away and was talking about the, the idolatry of sports in America and how we've made sports an idol and, and we've let that take the place of everything else. Well, we could go there, but it might get a little touchy with some UK people, so I won't do that. No, but not Alabama, just UK. Thirdly, thirdly, now, now behave. Thirdly, there are sins connected with temper. Sins connected with temper. Uh, these are social sins. These are socially related sins. You see, the, the sins of impurity, they have a social element to them, but they're primarily against your own body and against God, disobeying Him. Sins connected with pagan worship are totally against God, but sins related to temper are social and society type of, of sins. I mean, listen to how they put them here. Uh, they, it talks about enmities and strife and jealousy and outbursts of anger and disputes and dissensions and factions and envy. I mean, those are sins that, that are related to, to, your, to your whole personality to some degree. And Paul is saying a, a person whose personality is under the lordship and the authority of Jesus Christ, that won't be the characteristic thing of them. I mean, I, I think you can probably think of people without a whole lot of trouble who are just known for being divisive who are just known for dissension, known for disputing, known for being argumentative over, the, over nothing. That's just, their, that's just in their nature that they're going to they're gonna argue, they're going to divide, they're going to they're gonna dispute, even when they don't know what they're talking about. Paul says that's a characteristic of the flesh, not a characteristic of the spirit. And then there's a fourth group, and that's sins of excess drunkenness carousing uh, and things like this I, I love how Paul kind of brings all these you know he's listed all these and then he says and, and things like this uh, he's not giving us an exhaustive list here you know I can see some of you right there saying okay I'm not doing that I'm not doing that okay I'm not doing that but you know he's saying you know this is just illustrative this is just a general understanding. 
of what God is not pleased with and what God's spirit does not allow to captivate and take hold of your life. If you're walking in the spirit, if you're walking by the spirit, you'll not carry out the desire of the flesh and these deeds of the flesh will not be what are evident within your life. They will not be what is you're known for. I mean, that's pretty clear. You know what? These are the most natural things in the world to do. Because they're predicated on pride. They're predicated on having things my way. They're predicated on me getting what I want and that's all that matters. I mean, even, even fornication and, and, and impurity and sensuality, that's just... Let me be fed. Let me be, let, let my passions be aroused and satisfied. That's all that matters. But when the Spirit is in control, these are not what a life is characterized by. Well, he says people that practice these things, now understand the word practice there is significant here. He's not saying people who have had this in their past or people who are, are, are struggling in some ways with this but they really are struggling and the spirit is molding them and shaping them and sanctifying them that they don't have the eternal life or they don't have the kingdom of God but it's those who practice these that this is just their natural way of life it's visible all the time all of a sudden then there's no evidence of the Holy Spirit being there but then he goes on and in verses 22 23 particularly he talks about the fruit of the spirit now quite honestly I would dare guess that you've heard tons of sermons in your Christian life in your church life on the fruit of the spirit and much fewer on the deeds of the flesh I'm just guessing but I know I have I've even preached more on the fruit of the Spirit than I have the deeds of the flesh. You know why? Because it's just a whole lot nicer. You know, you just you get to say these nice things. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Why, against such things there is no law. Of course there's no law against those things. Why should there be? Those are good, positive things. But these are characteristics that are not natural. They're not natural in the believer's life. These are characteristics that are, are not natural. They are virtues. They are, they are characteristics of life that have their source in one place. And that is in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where their source is. Now there are a lot of people who say, well, I'm just going to love people and be peace and patience love and peace and joy and happiness and goodness and laugh and fun and it's all great I'm just going to do that and I'll be a good Christian that has nothing to do with being a Christian unless it's the Lord Jesus Christ really building those character qualities in your life I mean there are a lot of people who can walk around and talk about love and joy and peace and patience and all those things and, and make it sound really good but if it's not the spirit of God manifesting those things working those things out demonstrating those things in your life then they are not real these are things that come 
have their source in Christ and they cannot be produced. They cannot be maintained apart from him. It's important to understand. Paul is contrasting here the life of the believer and the life of the lost person and the struggle that even takes place in believers' lives sometimes because his flesh is still a powerful force. But look at what he says in verse 24. That's a, it's a tough verse. I want to be honest with you. Let's just get that out of the way up front. This is not an easy verse. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified, and that is a past tense word. It's not a continuing. It's not saying those who belong to Christ Jesus have or are now crucifying. They have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. I don't know if you've ever taken time to walk through Romans. We did part of Romans several years ago. We were at first and never got back to it. We've got to get back to it. Before I retire, we're going back to Romans. Because I want Romans to be the last thing I preach on before I either retire. Well, I'll, it'll be death. That's how I'll retire probably. But I want, to, I want to go back to Romans one more time. I love that book. But in Romans, Paul talks about this. He says, listen. The old man must be crucified. The old man must be put to death. The old man, and you know, a lot of times we live like we've crucified the old man as Christians. But we, I remember hearing John MacArthur talk about this one time years ago and said, but it's like we strapped him on our back and we, we're carrying this corpse around everywhere we go. And, and you know, the corpse, we kind of let him wave and you know, we let people see, here's the corpse, you know, here's the... But that's the old man. It's dead, and we ought to live as though it's dead. We ought to reckon ourselves as crucified to the old man. And we ought to seek for Christ to fill us with his fruit. I, I love the way Paul prayed for the Philippian Christians over in Philippians chapter 1. You can just listen if you want to. You can look at it later. But in that prayer in those first verses, he says in verse 9, and this I pray that your love may abound still more in the real knowledge and all in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent, in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. Listen to this: having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God, having been filled with the fruit righteousness now I honestly believe that what he's praying for for the Philippians is the exact same thing he's describing in Galatians the fruit of righteousness is the fruit of the spirit the fruit of the spirit is when righteousness has been imputed to our lives and begins to take hold and begins to work itself out to demonstrate the presence of Christ within our life you know when we came here 
and by the way, starting not this Wednesday night, because I'll be in, in Utah, but the next Wednesday night, we're going to do some studies on Wednesday night on, on just philosophy of ministry as a church. I hope you'll come and be a part of that. It's going to be pretty good, I think. So I'm going to lay some things out to that small group, and then they'll work their way all the way to Sunday morning eventually. But, but you know, one of the things that we said three and a half years ago almost now, or three and a quarter years ago when we came here, one of the things we said is we, we don't want to be just be another church. We, we want to be different. And, and we, we've sought to do that. We, we've, we're not program-driven. I mean, we've lost a lot of people who've come in and said, oh, you don't have enough programs. Well, I'm sorry. We're not program-driven. Our, our focus is on worship, and our focus is on the Word, and our focus is on what flows out of that, and that's missions and evangelism. That, that's, that's our focus. That's our, our simple church, if you will, concept. We're not trying to build massive programs and say, oh, everybody come and be involved in the program. Programs don't save. Programs don't make a unique church. They just make another church out of it. But let me tell you something. This is how I really want us to be unique. This is what I really want when, when people think of Grace Baptist Church. I want them to think this is a church that is unique in their walk in the Spirit. I see the fruit of the Spirit coming out of the church as a whole, corporate body. And I see it in the lives of people that are, are touched there. And we're not there, folks. I'm be, being honest with you. Because Paul says here, you know, let's don't become boastful and challenge one another and envy one another. And there is some of that. Because we're, we're human. And sometimes we're quick to think the worst of somebody. You know, we don't, we don't think of them as a brother and sister in Christ. And if we hear something, we don't go to them and say, hey, can I help you? Can I minister to you? Can I... You know, we just kind of pass it off. We'll get into that in chapter 6, big time. Well, I want us to be known as a church that doesn't boast. That's pride. Doesn't challenge one another and try to look better than the other. They don't envy either material goods or spiritual growth in another person. But we're brothers with our elder brother. Jesus Christ. Now when you boil all this down, and I'll close here and we'll come back to it later. When you boil all this down, it's what we were talking about this morning about holiness. That holiness is what the church in America needs today more than anything else. Individually and corporately. The reason the church is anemic, the reason the church is ineffectual, because of a lack of holiness in the people and in the churches. We've, we've given over to entertainment. We've become a big show in, in so many cases rather than focusing on the word and on worship. And that's scary. But we have to understand that holiness is the central matter. Uh, let me give you four more things. Four, four things to kind of condense those eight I gave you this morning but kind of flow out of this. Remember that holiness is justification's goal. When you're declared just by the judge of the universe through Jesus Christ, the goal of that justification is your holiness. 
make you holy. Holiness consists in fulfilling the law's just requirements. Now, you may say, wait a minute, Bill. Now, this morning, just this morning, you said we can't live the law. We can't fulfill the law's just requirements. We can't do that. That's right. You've got to have somebody do it for you. And one person's done it. One. Not one dozen, not 100. One. And that's Jesus Christ. He obeyed the law perfectly for you and for me who are in Christ. Holiness is the work of the Holy Spirit, thirdly. It's not your work. Oh, you're to pursue holiness. You're to desire holiness. But in the final analysis, holiness is the work of the Holy Spirit as we are brought into submission under Him in salvation. And fourth, said this this morning in another way, I'll say it tonight this way, holiness is mandatory. It's not optional. It's not, oh well, maybe I'll get holy someday when I feel like it. For the Christian, it is as natural as breathing. It's an important part of your life. We've just made holiness some denomination somewhere. You know, you drive down the street and you see a holiness church. We think, oh, we don't want to be like them. They're holy. Now, I want to be holy. Because that's what he's called us to be. And that's what he has empowered us to be. That's what he has equipped us to be by giving us the Holy Spirit who builds the fruit of the Spirit into the life of everyone. Well, I didn't even break down the fruit of the Spirit, but we'll do it again later. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful tonight again for your word and just the truth that is in it. Help us, Lord, walk in your word. Walk by your Spirit. Help us, Lord, crucify the flesh of all its desires and passions. Lord, help us seek you first and your righteousness. And you'll add all these other things to it. Thank you, Father. We pray in Jesus' name.